0: Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It is episode. Actually, I'm not even going to try and guess because I think I've gotten it wrong. The 207. Last two weeks. It's Football and Random Things presented by Iowa Diamond from the Carl Chevrolet Podcast Studios. Jared Stansberry and Jeff Woody. What's up, brother? Uh, I'm probably doing better than you are. How how are you doing? I'm good. Today? I'm good. Have
1: you recovered from last night? I have. Emotionally. I have. For those that don't know, Jared's
0: a Chiefs fan. Well, I'm not really a Chiefs fan, but Chiefs fan-ish. Yeah, Chiefs fan adjacent. I'm not a, I'm not not a Chiefs fan, but I'm not like a, you know, diehard. They'd maybe be my second team, but if they're playing the Vikings, I'd cheer for the Vikings.
1: So, I don't have really, no. I I claim Broncos fandom, mm-hmm. but as the years have gone on,
0: now the truth comes out about why you haven't liked the Chiefs all year what now the truth comes out oh no i what have i said i didn't like the chiefs you've just been hating on the chiefs all year i just hate on tyree kill and kareem hunt
1: it's different they're just not nice humans uh anyway but like as the years have gone on I've, it's just faded i don't know if anybody else has had that happen like in adulthood where you once had a hard and fast like fanatical fandom like i was a i was a huge broncos fan back in like high school junior high elementary school Uh, but as like I've gotten older. It's like none of these guys were here like three years ago. And I have a friend that plays for the Saints. I have a friend that plays for the Raiders. I really like watching Baker Mayfield throw a football. The Rams are fun to watch. I'm just going to root for football. And the Broncos are on like, yeah, go them. So the Chiefs, I sort of jumped on that because they're just super fun to watch. So I didn't have, I, I, I said this to my parents. I went down and watched there because their TVs bigger. Uh, I went down to watch the game. Uh, at their place last night and uh i told them i was like if i was a chief fan in this situation my heart rate would be 215 mm-hmm. i can't imagine the level of stress giving the ball back tom brady with two minutes to go and be like here please don't score
0: well and yeah i mean they scored that first touchdown and then uh Gave him the football back, and it's like, yeah, they, gave, they left him way too much time. Yeah. But then he left them like 45 seconds, and you're like, well. Pat Mahomes can throw it 60 yards. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, with yeah. With his left hand. All right, we'll talk, we'll talk more about this in just a second, okay? We'll be right back on Football and Random Things in the Carl Chevrolet Podcast Studios.
1: This is Iowa Diamond President Chuck Kuba. After 20 years of serving engagement and wedding couples, I can't help but
0: reflect back on the thousands of wonderful folks we've helped and ask myself, how can we be so lucky? Is it our incredible ring selection or the quiet private atmosphere? Then
1: came the epiphany. Out of all the people in the world, we make you feel like you are the most important people in the world. Because at that moment, to all of us at Iowa Diamond, you are. Visit us at iowadiamond.com or in person anytime. You'll see what I mean.
0: Welcome back, Football and Random Things. Presented by Iowa Diamond, Carl Chevrolet Podcast Studios. So, I think we have a new entrance, or entrant, into the category of worst roughing the passer call in the history <laughs> of football, there were two <clears throat> monumentally horrible
1: calls on Sunday, and one and there was one in each game, and then there was also another kind of funny one that was in each one that was super important, like uh, the offsides on D Ford on what would have been the game clinching interception. Oh yeah. He was like three yards off sides. Like he was lined up. He was like looking at the tackles hip. Yeah. And it was like, buddy. Right. Come on. Right. Let's just take, let's take a look at reality here. But then there is that. Yeah. That roughing the passer. And I will say this. I think the AFC game, as much as it, as, as weird as that call was, I think the AFC game was officiated significantly better than the NFC game. Oh, I agree with that. Significantly better. Yeah. And the, I can, it, it is tough. And I kind of want to give an out because it was the wrong call. It's by far the wrong call. And it was one of those things, I think uh, Sarah I think was the one that had uh, yeah, the Sarator. CBS. Yeah. Offic- he's the CBS official. Um, and of the thing that he said is that you, you can't call it unless you know, like you can't be sort of kind of, you think it's called, but where his angle is, it's right behind Brady's head. And so that's where he's standing. And so what he sees is he sees an arm go by and he sees Brady's head go back. Cause he hits him in the chest. And so like, those two things would indicate to you from the angle and the vantage point with which he's standing that that would have been a helmet to, or a contact to the helmet. But still, that's a huge miss in that yeah. situation. Yeah. Because it was a third down, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, it was a huge miss. And then the other one, but that was, I mean, that looks like the best call on the planet compared to the pass interference in the Rams game. That was horrible. That wasn't even, that wasn't even like defensible on any count.
0: No, and what makes it, it's actually kind of crazy because I know people, or there's somebody on Twitter who is a big officiating person. Is it Brent Bloom? Well, no, not Brent Bloom. NFL officiating, so like paying attention to how mm-hmm. crews are and stuff like that. And they said before the game that that crew would let the players be the ones that kind of that decide the game, mm-hmm. and they're not going to put it in their own hands. And I was like, man, they really took that to the extreme. By doing like, that, they went a little too far. Right, right. Now it's just like, yeah, screw the pass interference rule. We're just going to throw that out the book. Like, you, Miguel, you guys
1: just hit each other as hard as you so want. Mikkel Roby Coleman got away with like three of those yeah. on the day. There was one where, I think, uh, Ted Ginn, um, he ran like a just a little hitch route. Five yards, it was on like a third and four or something like that. He ran a hitch mm-hmm. route. And <laughs> Roby Coleman grabbed both of his arms. I would say that impedes the receiver's ability to catch a pass when you cannot move your hands. I'm no doctor. But it seems like that's disadvantageous.
0: Yeah, and it was funny on the the last one he stands up and he looks around. He's just like where is it? Oh yeah, where's there's the flag on that one. Where in, is it? And in, in like real time, it didn't look that egregious. I mean, it was bad, you know, like you're like, wow, that's definitely pass interference. But then you see it slowed down, and you see how far ahead of the ball he was. And you're just like, "How did anyone ever miss that? Like, what is, what is this? What are
1: they doing? What are they watching?" And what's funny is that you the the NFL, as as staunch as they are on almost everything, they're gonna say we're fine. I don't know what they actually said on that. Even though the officials, I think, admitted to Sean Payton, "Yeah, we blew that." Like, <laughs> no, no shit. Yes, you did. Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, but they which is of no consolation. Been there. No consolation. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate the apology. Uh,
0: Maybe they'll send him a, a letter of apology. A letter
1: of apology. Yeah, yeah, I think we have, what, five of those?
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah. I
1: think in my time at Iowa State, we got five apology letters. Thanks. Thanks. It really means Almost a lot. as good as a Super Bowl. It's almost as good as winning that game yeah. in your home stadium with
0: a quarterback who's in the twilight of his career. Really, really brings it home. I'm pretty sure that going into yesterday... The home team had won the last 10 championship games, and then both of them lost on the same day.
1: Which ironically was, uh, it was an old guard, new guard yeah. thing in both, in both leagues. Because Goff is what, like 24? Yeah, something like and that. And Pat Mahomes is 23. Mm-hmm. And then you have Breeze and Brady, which are two, arguably, two of probably the four greatest quarterbacks in the history of football that you're playing against. And it's, they're playing against some kid who was in like second grade when they entered the NFL. And so then you have one win on the road and one lose at home to the old guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. I mean, all I know is that it's a tainted Super Bowl. Not my Super Bowl. (laughs) Not my Super Bowl (laughs) participants. not my Super Bowl. Yeah, not my Super Bowl participants.
1: I I think the Patriots deserved it more than the Rams do, in my opinion. The Rams won really was bad. I mean, New Orleans should have won that game. Yeah, because if they get if that pass interference is called correctly, there's like a minute and fourteen seconds left and like that's one timeout.
0: Also probably shouldn't have been throwing the ball like in that scenario. They did that twice and threw two incompletions. Kept stopping the clock, giving the Rams more opportunities. Not ideal. Yeah. No.
1: Um no, but I, I I think and this is I think we said this off air. So that those two games reminded like the it's the it's the year the Rams are just a year ahead of the Chiefs
0: mm-hmm.
1: because last year, the Rams, when they, didn't they play? It might have been Philly that they played last year. I don't remember who they played. No, but they
0: played the Falcons, I think. The
1: Falcons last year. But anyway, so they, they played they last year. They beat the
0: Falcons and then, yeah, they must have played Philadelphia. They they played last
1: year and they lost last year because nobody had any playoff experience at all. And then they come back this year and obviously win two games. Granted, questionable on the second one but still they win the second game they're, they're in the super bowl this year and it seems to me like the chiefs are just in that same mold where they i think they showed a graphic during the game there was literally not one player who had been in an afc champion or a championship game of any sort on the chiefs roster and now you have everybody that is currently on that roster at least has a game under their belt including the most kind of the most critical guys which are your two middle linebackers and your quarterback mm-hmm. that if you can have those guys be have playoff experience, then they're going to be fine. So I think the Chiefs next year are going to be set up for a pretty good amount of success, especially if they draft David Montgomery.
0: Yeah. Well, and if they can get... They're going to need to do something defensively in the secondary. They're going to need to do something. They really weren't that bad yesterday, though. They, need, mean, they need to do something. Uh,
1: Bob Sutton needs to change something. Yeah. And I, I think that's more scheme than... I mean, people obviously help. Like, if you have a Richard Sherman in his prime... That changes what you can do. But I think schematically, uh, Josh McDaniels beat Bob Sutton up and down the field the entire game. And and yes, Bob Sutton, there were times, especially like in the third quarter and the beginning of the fourth when the Chiefs started making their biggest part of the run. That's when it started to even out a little bit, but that was more just players making plays at that point because where it came down to is in the the crunch timey situation, which there was like three... Critical crunch time drives a cup two for the Patriots, one for the Chiefs. Um, when the Patriots were on the field, anytime it was third and longer than seven, Bob Sutton would always call two man under. And if you're calling two man under, and they would they would shat, they would take Eric Berry and put him on Gronkowski. Which, granted, if any defender in the NFL is going to potentially match up against Rob Gronkowski, it's probably and because Cam Chancellor's hurt, it's like Cam Chancellor and Eric Berry are like you're two guys that even have a, a a snowball or snowflake's chance in hell.
0: The only f- Unfortunate thing is that Eric Berry's played in, I think, two games. He played two games this season. Yeah. And one of them was the AFC Championship game.
1: Yeah. But you still have like, as far as an athletic talent, like the capacity to potentially guard Rob Gronkowski in a two-man-under setup, it's Eric Berry. And so you have that potential to do that. But then you also are putting, you're spreading yourself pretty much man-on-man all the way across the board, and you're playing two-man-under. So two is, generally speaking, a deep coverage type cover. It's not you're not trying to stop short passes a lot. Because if you're trying to stop short passes, you'd play something like one, or you'd play tighter, like guys up closer to the line of scrimmage, play a little more press man. But they were playing two man under, or, or some variant of it. So they're rushing four, and expecting that their pass rush is going to get there. Problem is, Tom Brady gets rid of the ball. In, like, if, he, if he holds to the ball for more than three and a half seconds, the world is ending. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him so great. That's what makes him and Breeze and Manning, that, that's the connective tissue between the three of them. Is that they everything they do is on rhythm because they know what's going on beforehand. And I I, I thought Tony Romo might have been the star of the entire broadcast. I was actually gonna ask you about that. It was it was brilliant. I mean, granted, he wasn't he would see things before most other people. I would say and I say other people, meaning like guys that played positions on offense that you would have to know those things. So like quarterbacks, running backs, offensive linemen, like we I say that I put myself in that category. Like we would have seen the same things-ish, but he sees them way faster and way more accurately because he knows the other team. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, with Sutton and his two man under what they McDaniels knew that they were doing that because they, in the intro to the game, they had talked about how the crowd noise was going to play such a factor in the Patriots actually, or in the Patriots being able to communicate. And what they had said is that the chiefs run a defense that doesn't require communication. And what, or it doesn't require a significant amount of communication that noise is a problem. And so what that means is that to the chiefs run a very simple, very vanilla defense is they're not going to run anything that's really disguised. It's not going to run anything. That's really, uh, you know, flashy. And like we talked about last week with Venables is they spun everything is everything changed. And the chiefs don't do that. They basically said, we're running cover two man under beat us. And they, with that, Brady doesn't have to do a whole lot. They can call, really, I I would almost guarantee the way this happens. They just call, flat out, call two plays in the huddle, every single play. And when you do the thing where he'd like tap two fingers on his helmet, he would essentially go second play, second play, second play. And so they would call two plays right away, see what the defense is going to give. They were looking at probably like two, maybe two different factors, probably just one of where this is going to be. Like the quintessential example of this, before I get back to the two-man under thing, is Romo's perfect those third and one, fourth and one situations where they said it's either going to be quarterback sneak, or he's going to check to an outside zone. And that I guarantee the only person they were looking at wasn't the number of people over the nose, like over the center or over the guards. It was, is the tackle because they're always going to line up in an Eagle front when an Eagle front is a five man. So you have a a nose guard staring eye to eye with the center. Mm -hmm. Both eyes are even. So head up nose. And then you're going to have another, a balanced look from that point out. And so an eagle is the guards are going to be covered and the tackles are going to be covered, meaning there's a body on each body. And so where that guard is, where the, the defender over the guards, that's what they were looking at is, is that guy on the inside shoulder of the guard? Is he head up with the guard? Is in the outside shoulder of the guard? Because those guys, they're going to balance the front across or the balance the defensive front because the Patriots gave a balanced look. So what they were probably looking at is if that guard, if that defensive tackle across from the guard is on the inside shoulder of the offensive guard. They're going to run an outside zone because then it's a super easy block because one of the things that you can use to your advantage is chaos. Like as a defense, there's three dudes right there. If I'm running an outside zone right to the outside butt cheek of that guard or that tackle. And my, I know my guard and I say, just mush that into the ground Mm -hmm. is he gets out of his stance and hits that defensive tackle in the shoulder and just pushes him into the other tackle and pushes him into the other tackle. You need literally in a third and less than one situation, you need a foot. And so you need a foot of space. And then you let your running back run as hard as he can at that wall and try and get there. And so they would mush that down and then potentially like just, or mush that down and then run right off the back or run, run, run right off his back. And if he was playing a head up or outside, then what Brady would do is he does this all the time is would take the snap and wait for like a shade, like a half a count. And so then he would let his center, the center's never going to push someone unilaterally, like just, or just direct back. There's going to be some angle that, that a head on defensive or offensive line, defensive line matchup's going to have. There's some angle. Maybe it's like 2% to the left, Well, then he's that little half second. He's going to go to the right because that defensive tackle now is playing on the outside shoulder of the guard. There's no, there's a big, there's a pocket right there. Yeah. So that's the two things, two things are going to do. And they knew that. So the Patriots knew Bob Sutton was going to do a or B. Here's a call for a, here's a call for B. So back to the two man under thing, they knew that if it's third and long, we're going to get two man under. And if we don't get two man under, we're going to get some combination of a, they never shoot. They never played zone. I don't think they ever played zone on on a long down distance situation or brought pressure. So what the Patriots did is they took Edelman and the way you stop Julian Edelman is you get him off rhythm and you get in his chest is you get him right. It does. He's really good off or offline scrimmage. I think Julian Edelman for my money is the best slot receiver in football right now. And, but the way you stop a really good slot receiver is slot receivers and in quick like slot receivers and tight ends operate a lot on timing because the quarterback, like I talked about Brady, he wants to get the ball out in three or less seconds, which means he's going to go step, 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 <laughs> Ball's gone. Well, if you go step, 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 ball's gone. I'm looking for a spot as you need to be on the hash at seven yards right there. yeah. well, if you're if you get up in his chest and you delay him for seven tenths of a second, well, him getting to that spot's no longer there. And so Brady has to hold for a count, has to look off the receiver, he's gone. So what McDaniels did, knowing that that's who he wanted to get the ball to is it was two. really there's two options. You have Gronkowski. OK, we're one on one with Gronkowski. There's a good option. I, can, I think I can take that shot. And they did a couple times. The other one they would do, they'd line up Hogan as the on the ball wide receiver on the on. I think it's usually he was coming to his left. So uh, the Hogan's the, 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 the wide receiver to the right. He's the inside receiver and he's on the ball. And so that guy is the one that's getting pressed. Edelman is off the ball, and then they move they sent him in motion, so he's lined up wide, and they sent him in motion pretty much like a two yards outside and two yards behind Chris Hogan. And so again, using chaos to your advantage now as an offense is they want to press Chris Hogan because it's the same thing as we want to get him off of a rhythm to let our pass rush get to the quarterback. So Hogan is getting pressed. He's letting that chaos happen. Then whoever's coming with Edelman has to run over top of that. Chaos pile or run underneath that chaos pile, Mm -hmm. and Edelman is so quick that off the ball he's going to get an angle, and that might be there's a you know you only need like three feet, two feet of space for Tom Brady to put a ball in, and it's going to be all they ran was just a straight up slant, like it wasn't even a slant route, it was just an angle, like you come off Chris Chris Hogan's hip and run as fast as you can at a forty five degree angle, then I'm going to hit you in in rhythm, and so they just created a natural pick. Because the Chiefs wanted to play press. And Bob Sutton never changed that, never changed it once. So you have to, in order to do that successfully, you either have to pass that off or you have to operate at different levels. So your guy that's motioning with Edelman has to motion, when he motions back in, has to give space. It's third and nine. Let him catch it at six yards. He has to give space back. And then that chaos, he can actually play over top the chaos and run either way. Now it's easier said than done because you can obviously, if you play over top of it, Edelman runs just a little whip route, ends up you know, catching on the sideline for seven yards instead of in the middle of the field. Right. But still, every single time they had a third and ten, I think the Patriots ran the same play three times. As they ran, they just did it until all right. Sutton's going to run two man under again. Let's motion Edelman in. Watch or give him one on one. Run underneath it. There's nothing that that coverage is not unless you get levels or your corner pushes Hogan back into Edelman and gets like a, a, a defensive lineman jamming him. It's never going to work. So I. That whole game, it started with getting angles in the run game how they wanted to in the first quarter, which I didn't pay that much attention to the box. I was watching more like Brady and what he was, his brain was doing. Uh, but then at the end of the game, it was you see what coverage you have. We know what coverage you're going to have. We're going to run this perfect play against your coverage until you change your coverage, and you never did.
0: Yeah, and it was... It was frustrating cuz they were I mean they had the ball every time they had the ball they had the, had it for 10 minutes it felt like. Mm-hmm. I mean they they just controlled the football the entire game. And I will give the Chiefs credit because they I mean they very easily could have just been like all right it's not going to happen. Like the way they were getting their asses kicked in the first quarter. Yeah. Just physically dominated basically. And I mean they turned it around and that the offense was awesome in the second half for the most part.
1: Yeah, and and I think it was because this is an I don't remember if it, if it was uh, Nance or uh, Romo that had said this one as they talked about when Brett Favre made his first few playoff games, they his first quarter, first few drives was over, and he came to the sideline, and one of the coaches was like, "Are right, you done? You you done throwing rockets yet?" And I think Mahomes was just too mm-hmm. amped that everything he did was trying to make the biggest play possible and putting all ninety-seven miles an hour of a fastball into the pass yeah and then defensively i i think and i would have to go back and rewatch this i i didn't record it but i'm sure i can find it like on a replay but i think what happened in the first drive as far as giving up a whole bunch of run plays or giving up a whole bunch of run fits was a couple things one rob gronkowski is really fucking good yeah Friggin' i think it's expletive tag yeah but he's really good and they would run point of attack to the tight end and you when you have a tight end that can block like, a, like an offensive lineman, you get six offensive linemen, but when he can catch the ball, then you can't run a fifth defensive lineman and to match their, five, their six offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So here you're having to put Justin Houston, which is one of your best pass rushers, one of your best defensive players, you're putting Justin Houston on a tight end. Generally speaking, you win that battle with Houston on Gronkowski. Gronkowski won that battle 80% of the time. And so now you're taking one of your best defensive players and pushing them out a gap. So pushing him farther away from the ball. Right. And he's getting a stalemate against an a offensive player. So they ran at Gronkowski probably, uh, I don't know what the percentage was, a, a vast majority of the time, whether it was a sweep or it was an inside, an inside play, just because of him being able to hold his own against defensive end, pushed, or like pushed him out sideways. And then the other thing is on the interior line, they were talking about Pat Mahomes being so amped up to try and throw the ball 700 miles an hour is they would come. The defensive line came off the ball so hard that they would take themselves out of the play, mm-hmm. that they would push so far up the field that the line of scrimmage being two, two yards back like you can push the line of scrimmage back and still make it be a bad play because then that, that crease opens up and all of a sudden Reggie Ragland, instead of having a little phone booth to tackle in now has a, a small living room right. that he has to try and tackle in. And that's, Neither, I think, I don't think Hitchens or Ragland are uh, top-tier linebackers, but they're not bottom-tier linebackers. And but when you give them that much space, and it doesn't seem like a lot, but you want to push someone into a wall. You don't want to have to op- tackle them in an open in your backyard. Mm-hmm. So that they they took themselves out of the play by being so amped up and excited.
0: Well, and that goes into the same thing where you know a year from now. If, if you get back in that spot, everybody's just yeah, more calm and collected in that situation. Where I mean, you think about the Patriots. Every guy on the team has played in Super Bowls. I multiple. Think,
1: I think I in that same graphic they showed where the Chiefs had zero guys that played in an AFC championship game. I think, what was it? Like, there was a combined 132 championship games. At least, yeah. On the Patriots roster they would played in.
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, Brady's been to eight
1: straight, you know? You know what's absurd? I, I Every year this happens. And every year I'm amazed by it is since 2001 outside of Joe Flacco once and Rich Gannon once the AFC has been represented by Tom Brady, Peyton Manning or Ben Roethlisberger mm-hmm. since 2000 and what 2001 or 2002 2001 2001. Yeah. 2001 those three guys for now 18 years except 2 years mm-hmm. have represented the and or the AFC in the Super Bowl
0: man shout out to Rich Gannon hey Rich Gannon back in the uh, Gruden years. Like I had a grinder. Uh, he had like white hair as a, when he was in his like, <laughs> final, final years of his career. He also almost freaking got his head taken off. Did I think like,
1: that's why he retired. Didn't he? Cause he got like a cervical neck fracture. Didn't he retire right after that game? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's like, I thought I, <laughs> it's probably a good move. Yeah. You, uh, you get your neck snapped and you're 39 playing football. You're like, you know what? Not
0: worth this. Not worth, <laughs> This is not that much.
1: I made enough money in my lifetime. Yeah. I think
0: I'm good. Well, it's like, yeah, I'd probably retire after I had to play Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and Rondé Barber and all those guys, too. Oh, man. I would love to see. That defense was ridiculous. I would love to see
1: the Buccaneers defense and Tony Dungy's brain with that defense go against Josh McDaniels and the Patriots offense. Does that chess match would be fascinating? Yeah. Because Derek Brooks, I don't think people realize or remember how good he was. So that Tampa two defense, he's on my Madden
0: Ultimate Team. It's nice, nice. One of the Madden legends.
1: The only guy that's been that's been able to run it close to as good as that is Earl mm-hmm. is as ath- as far as athleticism and ability. Uh, but that Tampa two defense literally was created. There's a defense that is now standard operating protocol. In most defenses, it was literally created because of how good Derek Brooks was. And so, people, if they don't know what a Tampa 2 defense is, we talk about this whole Edelman thing, as far as like that that pick right off the top. Tampa 2 would snuff that out in a second. If they could, if they had a guy that could run Tampa 2, like Derek Brooks runs Tampa 2, that that last drive would have to be called completely differently if you are the Patriots. And it would probably be a lot more run heavy in that time because of how good he was. So, what Tampa 2 is, So think cover two. So cover two, you have two safeties that split half the field. We've talked about this enough. And then your corners are still playing a true cover two, which means you're dropping until you see someone come underneath you and then you're going to run underneath the shallowest. Mm -hmm. So if you have a guy that's at 10 yards, you have a guy that's at five yards, you have to play up until the five yard guy. And then your linebacker, your outside linebackers are playing just a standard. Their zone sort of expands now, but they're generally speaking, they play hook curl. So like where the the tackles stop and the slot receiver starts that zone is their zone. And then the middle linebacker changes what he does. So what cover two, normally he's going to stay in the middle of stays going to stay in the middle of the field. And he's going to cover like just where Edelman caught every pass was right in the middle. What Tampa two does is it does two things. The middle linebacker now, instead of operating in that middle of the field, the linebackers have to sort of assume his zone and the safeties will split a little bit wider because he's going to run straight back up the field and become a safety. So it's like cover two mixed with cover three at the same time. And so what his job is, imagine doing this. And Derek Brooks was, can you look up how big Derek Brooks was? Like what his his playing weight was? Yeah, I'm going to guess. Six, I already have. I've already pulled up uh, it, the six, Tampa Bay defense in 2002. Six two. I'm going to go six, two, 240. That's my guess. Six foot two thirty five. Six foot two thirty five. Okay. Six foot two thirty five. So. You have that. Think about six foot two thirty five. What his job is as a Tampa two middle linebacker is you have to pretty much on the snap is you still have to read run because if they run, you still have to make the tackle. You're a a run reader. But then you have to turn and haul ass and essentially become a safety playing cover three in the middle of the field Mm -hmm. because you have to run straight backwards. Add to this, you still are responsible for anything that sits underneath you. So it's still mostly a cover two. But if there is like that Edelman pass that comes underneath there and he's hauling ass running straight backwards and he sees Edelman come into his space. We talked about corners dropping underneath the shallowest. He has to play on top of or right underneath Edelman. So in a Tampa two defense, when Edelman catches that slant pass right across the middle, Derek Brooks hits him right in the sternum with a shoulder pad because he's going to run. He's going to run read. Bail and haul ass to try and get back to the middle of the field as a safety. See Edelman stopping, put a foot in the ground, come back down the field and hit Edelman in the chest. That's how good Derek Brooks was to do all of that. He had four picks
0: or three pick sixes that 2002
1: season because no one had ever seen that defense before. <laughs> so when you talk about like the the again Tampa just a cover two, not a Tampa two, a cover two defense. Think about your Madden days when we talk about like where are the weaknesses in any given zone it's where there is no bubbles mm-hmm. in Madden or or NCAA 2014 RIP so when if in cover 2 where is the biggest gap of color
0: in right in the middle right in the middle
1: yeah right so you, there's the two safeties and the linebacker there's right over top of that it's the biggest zone that's it's the biggest space that is unoccupied yeah with Tampa 2 that space is now filled because your linebacker is dropping underneath that. And so everybody that thinks that there's going to be a space open in between the safeties, right behind the linebacker, they don't know that Derek Brooks is dropping back into that space. He had four pick sixes in the season because people would always try and run underneath that linebacker, run underneath the safeties over top the linebackers and drill a ball underneath there. Mm-hmm. That pass is gone. That can't exist. And so I would I don't know how we got under this, the oh, Rich Cannon, but I don't know how we like. Dude, this w- that team was crazy. I would love to have seen what that defense <clears> could do because Tony Dungy, as a defensive coach, when he was exclusively a defensive or a primarily a defensive coach, that was John Gruden's team. Well, that was uh, no Gruden.
0: I mean, Gruden was coaching the Raiders at the time. No, he was the The Gannon one. Yeah, that was Bill Callahan. That was the coach of the Raiders when they went made the Super really? Bowl. Yeah, because then the year before that, Gruden was in Oakland. Oh, uh, okay. The Tuck Sorry, Bowl my game. bad. My bad. Yeah. My bad. But, but either yeah, way, no, so Gruden was the coach there. But that Monty Kiffin who actually Monty Kiffin he was the one he was the 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 so not Tony Dungy Monty Kiffin Um,
1: but still it's the same same kind of concept of the Monty Kiffin or that defensive scheme could adjust to play against this Josh McDaniels Patriots offense
0: and you had Mike Tomlin as the defensive backs coach that one's that one's worked worked out okay but well they had
1: John Lynch and Rondé Barber
0: I was just gonna say this defense was uh, Simeon Rice who was a you know former top five pick Greg Spires uh, Warren Sapp, which Warren Sapp was arguably at that time, probably one of the five Think best defensive linemen in the NFL. Think Aaron Donald. Uh, Shelton Quarles. I don't really know who that is. Uh, Derek Brooks, Alshamon Singleton, Brian Kelly, who had eight interceptions that season. Uh, Ronde Barber, John Lynch, Dexter Jackson. And then on offense, they, I mean, they had Keyshawn Johnson. Brad Johnson was your starting quarterback. Wasn't Uh, it work done? Was the running back? No, Michael Pittman. I actually thought it was work done too. And that's why I was kind of confused. He is not even listed on the roster. For some (laughs) reason, I thought it was work done too. Uh, Mike Allstott. The great Mike Allstott. I love Mike Allstott. uh, At the fullback spot. Anybody that has, if you just want to enjoy football in its purest form, pull up Mike Allstott's greatest plays on YouTube. so beautiful. Because he is glorious. I love watching (laughs) Mike Allstott run. Oh, yeah. He just plows through people, dude. And it's just like, that was a man who had no, he had no concern for anything nope. about his personal health. He was nope. just like, I am bigger than you, and I'm just going I'm to stronger destroy than you. you. Yeah.
1: And I have less regard for my own joint health right. than you do. I'm
0: just going to destroy you at every opportunity. And they had Martine Gramatica at the at kicker. Was it Billy or Martine that tore his ACL celebrating? I think it was Martine. That's, that's got to be the most kicker thing of all time. And one of the great names in Joe Jarevicius. Uh... One of the Which, other receivers
1: br- bringing this back is I was watching the pregame show and they actually talked about this. This is Hasselbeck is on ESPN's pregame. Um, they had uh, it, back when they were you know when Joe Gerv- or Joe Gervish was playing is they would in the in the offensive staff or offensive meetings is Gavish would go up to the quarterbacks. And be like, it's third down, look at me. And so then it kind of became a thing that said it's third and Joe to go because it's third and nine, throw it to him. It's third and seven, throw it to him. Third and four, throw it to him. And that is, he actually pegged that as like Julian Edelman is now Joe Vicious, but better.
0: Yeah, he had two seasons with more than 50 catches. One of them was with uh, the Giants in 2001. And then the other one was his one year with Seattle. 55 catches, 694 yards, 10 touchdowns. Third he job. never had more than five touchdowns except for once. And that was with his one year with Matt Hespe. Third and Joe to go. Yeah. So there you go. That's a tie-in. Man, we really went deep in on the random there. Just all of a sudden breaking down the intricacies of the Tampa 2. T- Tampa 2. Derek Brooks Brooks like just randomly got on the Derek Brooks thing. It's such a it's such a pretty defense
1: when it's run, right? but you have to have an absolute freak of nature to run it consistently. Like, you can pepper it in. If you have an average guy, and I don't mean this in that he's still a starting NFL middle linebacker. Anthony Hitchens is a good player. He's
0: at least... Yeah, and him and and Reggie Ragland, I think Reggie Ragland's a rookie. Like, those guys are young, you know? Well, and Hitchens is my age, I think. Okay. Well, Um, yeah, but he's still... I mean, he's still relatively young compared to...
1: But I'm talking just pure sheer freak of nature athleticism comparing him to Dave or to Derek Brooks mm-hmm. or Brian Urlacher because Brian Urlacher played safety at New, was it New Mexico or New Mexico State New Mexico State and he played safety or like a, their nickel guy and they ended up moving him into linebacker and he beefed up to 245 and still ran he's at 6'4 245 yeah and still ran like a safety um so that guy but you have such a freak that can do that um you can't pe- you can't do it all the time because there are weaknesses even in the, even in the Tampa 2 because if you're vacating if okay, you're vacating something
0: Raglan, regular Reggie Ragland's not a rookie I guess
1: if if you're if you're vacating somewhere you're opening up something else and so there is still a a weakness unless cuz the place you're vacating in the Tampa 2 is if, is that spot where the middle linebacker would be in a true cover 2 is that that 5 to 12 yard mm-hmm. right over the ball space that your middle the outside linebackers have to both cover in and out unless your middle linebacker can put the brakes on and come right down the field to whatever he wants to hit underneath there and then the safeties can pass off whatever is over top of there. So there are certain plays that you that are you're a certain no matter what you can you can run successfully against them, but it's still uh but it's still great. It's one of my favorite defenses to be able to run if you have a freak that can do it at middle linebacker.
0: Yeah, so for the Chiefs defense of their 10 leading tacklers. Two of the 10 are older than 30. Everybody else is in like the 25, 26, 27 range. When some of their guys are just... Kendall Fuller's 23. Yeah, and when some of their
1: guys are still just kind of coming in their own, like Chris Jones, like is just starting to get a hold of how good he actually can be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Chris Jones is 24. So, I mean, they've got... Would you believe that Justin Houston's only 29? How? Yeah. Dude's
1: been in the league for like 14 years. That's what I'm
0: saying. Uh, that does not seem... I can't be. Okay, I guess he's actually 30 in nine days. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, So he just turned 30. I figured he was just older than Tamba Haley. No, Tamba Haley is old, dude. Tamba bahali well, has been in the league a long time. I know.
1: That's what I... am Is he
0: still in the league? I don't know. Shout out to Tamba. It's good for a long time. Man, I wanted them to win yesterday just for like some of the great... Some of the chief legends. I mean, Tom is not as, I mean, he was a good player, but he's not, I wouldn't know that I would call him a Chiefs legend. Very mm-hmm. good player. But uh, guys like uh, Will Shields, Willie Rofe. Uh, Tony. Yeah. Tony Gonzalez, Priest Holmes. Oh, Priest Holmes. Uh, he was silky. Man, they had a guy wearing 31, a running back, I think, wearing 31 one game. And I was like, how how can you have that guy? You can't like, let... How can you let someone wear 31? Right. How how can you let somebody wear 31 in Kansas City? Like, that's that's Priest Holmes' name, Dante number. Hall? Yeah, da- man. The X Factor. Shout out to Dante Hall. That was... Uh, he was the biggest... That offense was ridiculous.
1: He was the biggest, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. Wow. Good yeah. for you. The way he would just reverse
0: field. That guy was stupid. He was so good. And so bad at the same time. Oh, yeah. He was a horrible actual offensive player. Like, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> he was... The only thing he could do was return punts. And it was like that was basically it. Yeah. And even then it was it he flirted with near disaster. Like every, every time. single time that he caught the ball. Right.
1: It's like like yesterday, like Tariq Hill catches a ball in like the twenty and then runs twelve yards backwards. Yeah. And the ball's in the eight. And you're like, what? And I think they still scored a touchdown on that trap. That's Pat Mahal's really good. Yeah. But you're like, what what,
0: what? why why? what are you lose ground to gain ground, but eat a loss at some point. Do you remember when they had, they started the same offensive line for like seven years, something like the same five guys. The chiefs. Yeah. None of them got hurt. Nothing like they all started. They had like some ridiculous streak of like a hundred something games where they started the same five guys on the offensive line. I don't remember that. Yeah, man. It was was, uh, shields and Roof were the two guards. Uh, Man, who was the center? I would know his know him if I saw him. Casey Wigman. Oh, okay. Uh uh Kyle Turley. H- Wigman's a hawkeye, wasn't he? He might have been. And now I got it. I- I'll look it up in the Kyle box. Turley. Yeah. He's- I think I'm pretty sure that's what the group was. It was like was it- Turley was
1: the one that didn't he take a dude's helmet off and chuck it across the field? I thought he
0: took his own helmet off.
1: Didn't I- he? I thought it was somebody else's helmet. And he just winged it across the field.
0: Well, yeah, I do remember that. Uh yeah. How is Priest Holmes number not retired? That's all I keep coming back to. That's that's just that's just sad. It's it, it really is sad that his number's not retired. It is. All right. Uh let's take a quick break and then we'll shift gears When we come back. Football and random things presented by Iowa Diamonds. Carl Chevrolet Podcast Studios.
1: Hey guys, it's Chris interrupting this podcast because, you know, everybody wants to know that I get it asked all the time. How can we help Cyclone Fanatic? Well, you help Cyclone Fanatic by you support our advertisers and everybody needs to be aware of iCare. I wasn't for a long time and I went to... Ames Eye Care, and they really helped me out. It's changed my life. I don't have headaches the way that I did. You've heard me talk about this. They're also in Des Moines at Des Moines Eye Care. And you need to think about this with your family. Get the kids checked out. Encourage the wife. Anything. Personalized Eye Care Designer Eyewear. I've got these sweet Maui gym glasses that I use at work all the time. People think they look awesome. They meet your whole family's vision needs at Ames and Des Moines Eye Care. Check them out today and support Cyclone Fanatic.
0: Welcome back to Football and Random Things. I know who the Chiefs offensive line was now. Just Go for it. Willie Rofe, Hall of Famer. Brian Waters, another one of the greats. Casey Wigman, Will Shields, Hall of Famer. And John Tate. I don't really remember John Tate that well. I think he was the one guy that eventually got kicked out, but those guys had uh had a great run together. They did. Uh did not did not win a lot of playoff games, though. I don't think they ever won a, Don't think they ever won Yeah, one. that's not a lot. That was the that was the team that started out undefeated. I think they yeah, they went 13 and three. Priest Holmes broke the single season touchdowns record. And then when they when Peyton Manning came to uh Arrowhead Stadium in the playoffs, I don't think they punted the entire day. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Peyton Manning's very good. Yeah. Peyton Manning is very good. All right. What do you want to talk about now? Uh, I was staying Kansas. I was in Kansas tonight, big Monday, ESPN. What? What is Kansas
1: like just, I mean, it's in Fog Allen. Mm-hmm. So it's totally different. But they got beat Pay by. Pay
0: heed, all who enter the fog. But they got beat by. Uh, West Virginia. They got beat by uh, Bob Huggins and like the ghosts of five potential basketball players. Like, I don't know. Like, they name a guy on West Virginia. I can't. Yeah. Uh, They still have Issa Ahmad, but at one point I know that he got benched and didn't play a single minute of a game after having started in every game previous to that and just didn't play at all. He did the same thing to Lamont West, who's another guy who has played a lot for them. And now all of a sudden they like might win. It's a character culture thing. Apparently. Oh yeah. He, Oh, he was all out. Like just crapping all over those guys talking about how he could like basically nobody cared and just everything that he could do to uh, say negative about them without just like completely, you know, no, just he cra- he crapped all over. He did. Him. Yeah, he he just he, crapped all over. He's Huggy Bear. He, he don't care. Well, he went full out to the point where he was comparing he was comparing basketball to your girlfriend, and if uh, how if you don't pay enough t- attention to basketball, she uh, she'll get mad at you, and it just like if you don't pay enough attention to your girlfriend, she'll get mad at you. <laughs> and when I heard that quote, I was like, oh my god, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in it's my Huggie life. Huggy Bear. Yeah, I've come around to Bob Huggins. I enjoy Bob Huggins. He is uh, one of the great characters in college basketball. Let's call him rough around the edges. Yeah, I yeah I love him too. He's one of those people that I would do anything. Like if you said you can hang out with three sports figures at a bar on a Friday night, and you guys just have like your own little table in the back corner. Mike Leach, yeah, Mike Leach, uh, Bob Huggins, and you know I think Tony Romo would be have a lot would be a lot of fun to have beer with. That's probably true. Like that that's a guy. I feel like I would walk away from that conversation. 500 times smarter than i was when i when it started and i wouldn't probably say anything he would just talk the entire time just listen yeah it's just like jim nance like jim nance hardly gets to say anything because tony's just constantly talking
1: and i with with romo it's always great because he's like you can hear the dialogue like you can hear in it like his soundtrack in his head that he's analyzing it just comes out his mouth yeah so he'll do this where it's like and they're a cover
0: too. Oh, this isn't really good play call for the Patriots. And like, yeah. he'll
1: do the same thing of like,
0: oh, I don't know if this is good. When he does the, it, it's like in the one, the point when, uh, when they couldn't figure out if Edelman touched it or not. And that, that replay review felt like it went on forever because we had so many different angles. And it's, he's just, every time they would show it and they had it so enhanced and he's like, oh, at the other angle didn't it, touch her at it right them but <laughs>
1: didn't touch his left
0: foot <laughs> yeah and then it's like every time that he would see it he's like what about the shoulder what about the... oh nope 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 got the other angle nope didn't touch the shoulder and it's just like every time that they would change the camera it, the one thing that he was pointing out and like his vo- voice would just continue to rise octaves <laughs> and then he'd be like and then he'd come back he's like oh nope we're good we're good nope <laughs> nope didn't touch it there didn't touch it there love nope, oh, Tony Romo Romo solid. some people don't like him though how I also, I don't. Know. It's it. Like, they don't like how he does the the calling out what's going to happen before it happens. That and like people that don't like Collinsworth, I don't get it. I
1: genuinely don't understand how you don't like Romo or Collinsworth because Collinsworth does the same thing. He just does it. He's just been doing it longer, and so he does it a little bit more subtly. Where Romo yeah. just calls out like they're going to throw a fade to Gronkowski,
0: fade to Gronkowski. Well, I think that, dude. I think he's super entertaining, and you actually. I mean, it's the same thing. You actually learn something, Romo from or him. Collinsworth. Both of them. Yeah. You learn something when you listen to those guys. Like, if you actually sit and listen to them, but so many people don't want, like, they they don't want to actually be like thinking about what's going to happen, you know? Like, they just want someone that's going to sit there and entertain them. Whereas those guys are you so, want, like, so nerdy that you're like, say, you want Dennis Miller back in the box? Or, like, Phil Sims. Like, people hated Phil Sims too, but it's like he didn't ever add anything, you yeah, know? Phil, Phil Sims was bad. And people don't like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, but, like, I I think that I think Aikman I think Buck and Aikman are really really good too. I love Joe Buck, dude.
1: He's I awesome. Too. I don't know why he's another person that like people. He, he I think the, the knock is that like he talks down to yeah. people. I'm like, he's Joe Buck's another guy that I'd love to have a beer with, dude. Like, that you guy, imagine the stories that he have. Oh yeah, like all the stuff that he's done. Right, like like Tarico, like Al Michaels, um Bob Costas, Bob Costas, yeah, yeah, that have just done you know, guys that have been there forever, man. Covered twenty six Olympics. Yeah, and.
0: 18 Super Bowls and five World Series. Dude, like, think about Al Michaels. Like, the things that that guy has done, just the random great, th- like, th- events he's been at. Like, the- there's pictures of him in the, the... He's in that picture of Joe Montana Or not Joe, Joe Namath, like, on the beach when he declared that the they were going to beat the Colts in the Super Bowl, whatever that was, Super Bowl three, I mm-hmm. think. And he was, he, like, you know, they were a huge underdog. Well, Al- he said they were going to win. Al Michaels in that picture. Al Michaels made the call, uh, the... In the miracle yeah, on you, ice, Do yeah. you believe in miracles? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: I don't think it's a little known fact, but like people sometimes forget the fact that
0: that He's was been Al Michaels. Forever. Yeah, been around forever. Worked for with John Madden for like however long on Monday Night Football. That guy's a legend. Yeah. You know, uh, I would love to listen. Brent Musburger, like I would love to listen to those guys just talk, dude, and tell old stories. Brent Musburger, that could you? Okay, here's here's your three: Leach, Huggins,
1: Musburger. That's your evening.
0: With Musburger, I think I'd want to even just be like one on one. I just want to pick his brain. You know, he's another guy that you just—I think you could ask him one question, and then he would just go, and then like <laughs> you would have, like you would figure out somewhere in the time that he's talking, like what your follow-up would be. You know, he just seems like a guy's guy. I—I I think if you just did those three in a room could, and just sit there, just like hands on, or right? Like, just be a fly on the wall, yeah, chin on your hands. Imagine the things that. Uh, Mike Leach and Bob Huggins would talk about. Like, I can't imagine any of it would be about sports. None, you know. It's just like, I know that from talking to Chris when he interviewed Leach, like he he doesn't like to talk about football, I don't think. He just wants to talk about all kinds of other stuff. Just stuff. Right. yeah. And even when we had that press conference with him, the questions that he was asked about football were not what he gave his best answers to. You could tell he was in no way interested in sitting and talking about football. He wants to talk about all kinds of just other stuff. Man, okay, so Iowa State in Kansas, we—it's <laughs> two very, very distinct detours. So what happens, Jared? Uh, what happens? Man, I don't know. I'm kind of going back and forth. I think it's going to be a really good game, but uh, it's just so hard to win there, dude. It is so hard to play in that arena. Because have they have they lost ten games under Bill Self there? Uh, yeah, I think that they have now. <clears throat> I can. He's been you. there for what eighteen years? Yeah, something like that. Uh, not 18... Yeah, something like that. Something right around there. Um, he is. Well, he's two losses away from uh, from 100 losses in his career. So there's a. Actually, I guess he has 200 losses. That's just at Kansas. Man, he's 459 and 98 at Kansas. In. Yeah, fifteen seasons. That's ridiculous. Sixteen seasons. That's just stupid. and then
1: at Fog Allen, Yeah. I'm pretty sure I don't remember. It was like at least a few years back. He was like at the Fog. It was like 190 and eight or something. Yeah, I
0: can't find it. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I can't find it. So Anyway, but no, he's really good there. Uh, and um. Oh, he has a as coach at Kansas. He has a record of two hundred two and eleven at Allen Fieldhouse. Two hundred two and eleven. That's absurd. That's pretty good. It's 95 percent. That's ninety five percent of your games at home.
1: That's absurd. So I, I, something. I feel like something's gonna happen with like somebody. You know, it. Some a Kansas guy makes a pass. It bounces off like with four seconds left. It bounces off like Cam Lard's head and it goes in somewhere.
0: Man, that'd be. That would be ridiculous. That would be something it, else. But is it the most ridiculous
1: thing that's happened to Fog, Allen?
0: What would my headline be? I'd have to think of a good headline if that's how the game ended. Uh, would it be? Pay, pay head all All who enter the fog. Oh, yeah. Or something about a headline. Oh, true. Uh, But no, I, I know that they're going to probably be dialed in, though, you know, coming off of a loss and the fact that I was sick kicked their asses two and a half three weeks ago they're probably going to have revenge on their brains a little bit but I just don't think they're that good of a team to be completely honest I mean Bill Self literally tried to get LaGerald Vic to leave and then I think Diedrich Lawson is fine but it's he's not a guy that I think you want to throw the ball on the block to like the way that they do just over and over again he just I just don't think he's that great they don't have a guy on this team who's a first-round draft pick, probably. You know? Well, that's legally eligible. With Silvio D'Souza, I don't think he's that good of a player anyway. I mean, he's fine player. But it would be just Iowa State's luck for him to get ruled eligible, like, this afternoon. <laughs> 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 and then he gets... Immediately, they overturn the decision after he plays one game Yeah, against Iowa State at home. Right. Uh, but, I mean, without them not having Bouquet, like... I just don't think they're that good of a team. They're fine. I mean, fine team, you know, like they'll probably win a game in the NCAA tournament, go to Sweet 16 or something, but they're not the same Kansas team that they have been. They're beatable in the fog. Somebody's going to beat them. Why not Iowa State? Yeah.
1: I think this, it's one of those things where if Iowa State gets two guys, I mean, you would presumably Shayok and Wigginton mm-hmm. to actually have good scoring nights at the same time, mm-hmm that would i think that would be enough to do it yeah but that's a big if
0: i mean you have to make their offense is i mean i think on Ken Palm, they're like 29th in offense or something like their offense is not you know out of this world iowa state or kansas kansas uh yeah they're 29th in offense they're good really good defensive team but i mean if you can make them shoot like here i can i can pull it up uh but they've gone i mean they went Eleven for twenty two they shoot better at home. I mean, they always do eleven to twenty two against Kansas five of twenty one from oh wait, yeah five of twenty one against t c u like if you can make them shoot from three and you don't let them get out on stupid runs like mm. you know what tends to happen in Allen Fieldhouse, then you can beat them, and it's just gonna come down to string it and stops together, yeah. If they can do that, then I think that they can win. You know, Texas nearly won there. TCU was right with them for the most of the game, and Oklahoma gave them a good test, even. And I think that we've seen here over the last week and a half that Oklahoma might not really be that good, and Baylor might be better than they started with. <sighs> Freaking Scott Drew, man, always comes out of nowhere. Just
1: they just one freakishly athletic, six foot eleven dude with a fourteen foot wingspan.
0: What's and what's crazy is they've won these two games these. Most recent two games without their guy, without that guy, because he got hurt. He's out for the season. Wow. Tristan Clark. Hmm. So yeah. Now it's just like Makai Mason just doing Ivy League things in the Big Twelve. Just shooting from everywhere. Yeah. He went from breaking the bears' heart to uh out there just making you know, making plays for the Bears. Do you remember that? What a what a circle of life. No, I don't. Is yeah, he, he the one that made the shot? Yeah, I hit the buzzer beater against him. Ooh. When that was the game when they asked uh Torrey and Prince how Yale out-rebounded them. And he was like, they went up after missed shots and they grabbed the ball off the <laughs> rim. And they did that more times than us. And that's how they out-rebounded us. I was so badly have
1: always wanted to, to do that. But I don't have enough, like, I'm not necessarily mean enough, but like I don't have enough um, okay with making myself look like a dick
0: to do that. When I was playing, I don't know, man. I think you would have probably had enough. I did at, at that point after you'd been doing interviews, like you did answered every question for that offense uh, that your senior season, and you were like in, I mean, a a key piece, but like n- not really like that key p- of a piece, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, and it's like you were the one that had to come in and answer the questions still, instead of the starting quarterback, and it's like, like oh, we getting Woody again today? And you're like, yeah. You could have came in and been an asshole, and I think that no one would have ever like looked down on you for it. I I think I mean now I I care much less. Yeah, I care much less about my my perception
1: than I did when I was twenty two, but I wish that I had like I would so much have liked. So tell me about if like that that question, that is the worst. That is the worst. Can you talk about this? Can Can you talk about that uh, that that catch you had in the second quarter?
0: Which one? <laughs> Let's see
1: what what happened is a quarterback threw it and I caught it. That's a reception. Yeah. Talk about, ask me a question, do your job. Torian
0: Prince. Well, I mean, Saint. I, I think that was a legitimate question. Like that was one where I was like, but I mean, in those scenarios, you know, you got to feel for the kid a yeah. little bit. Like his college career just ended and you're asking him a question like that. Like it might not be the time, but uh, it, it is, it was a, question it wasn't that bad it wasn't like the yeah, talk about this, yeah, it's just like can you talk about uh you know what Brock Purdy means to the team like I've heard that question so many times to guys. It's a terrible question, yeah, tell me about uh what is it what is it like playing uh playing for a guy like Rhodes you guys enough passion for the university? you really would be surprised though, like in journalism school, you don't learn how to ask. Questions? Really? Not that I mean, if we did, I missed that day. I don't remember that because that's a that's something you just have to figure out how to do on your own. That's a big part of getting a a actual story or getting a good response. Oh, dude, can I go on a rant for a second? Go for it. Oh, journalism school is a waste of time, dude. Oh, waste of time. Huge waste of time. I I don't (laughs) I don't know what there might be one two things that I do on a daily basis that I learned at journalism school. That might be it. I, I didn't learn anything there. I learned everything from working, like, and being out doing stuff, you know, it, I didn't learn anything from sitting in a classroom. That, I mean, you ain't, you ain't, you ain't come here to play school. No, it, it's not that. It's just like you, there maybe was one class that I took that I would look back at and it's like, yeah, I legitimately got something out of that. You know, other than that, it's like, it's all just, it's all a waste of time. Cause
1: you'd think I would, from an outsider's perspective you would think that uh, phrasing of questions and understanding the emotions of the other person are the two biggest things in getting a story.
0: No, like you don't learn anything about building sources, which is really at the end of the day is one of the most important things. Like I think more than anything else, that actually might be the most important thing is just getting people that will talk to you, you know, and like being able to get information. And that regardless of how talented you are, that uh, that above all else, that's what it is. You don't learn anything about that hmm. in journalism school. You don't learn how to ask questions. You don't learn how to do a lot of the things that you, and you don't learn what it means to be a podcaster. Like you don't learn anything about that kind of stuff. All you do is you take one writing class and then a bunch of other like theory things. and It's just like, that's it. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be people out there that they're like, oh, I learned a lot in journalism school. I didn't. Like, I don't know. You just didn't pay attention enough. Well, I, I didn't, one, I didn't care like that much. Cause it's like, I, it was all stuff that I'm like, when am I ever going to need this? You know, what is like, what's the point of me sitting here and listening to this? And, uh, then I had, I was working an internship where I worked basically full time as a senior in high or a senior in college. And it was like, I learned everything that I wanted to do, needed to do from just doing that. I've learned more about writing from Rob Gray than I did from any professor I ever had. Well, Rob Gray's a really good writer too. Yeah. But that's, that's just what I'm saying. Like you learn more from just people that you meet, like doing your job yeah. than you do from ever anything. It, I'm probably going to make somebody mad at the journalism school, but I don't care. Like that's just the reality of the situation is that I feel like I didn't get very much out of that experience. Well,
1: I think that's fair. And we actually had the conversation. This is a different little diatribe, which I think it's some, we, we can't, we can dive into at another point. Cause I think I have to leave. Um, but the where do you have to go why you gotta leave work oh um they but like i think the biggest thing because there's not a ton of practical knowledge that i got or not so you tell there's there is a good amount of practical knowledge that i got as far as like from a degree in science but i think the biggest thing that i got from school was learning how to learn and learning how to differentiate what's good information what's bad information Mm. i think that was the that was the biggest overarching concept not to be anti-school or pro school but because i really think that that you can, if you have the capacity to get a job, and that's where you're going to learn your most things. But from an informational standpoint, like understanding information quality is the thing that I got the most from. Which that that sp- speaks directly. And this isn't like whether it's I don't know if it's like too political, or not political, but like the whole Facebook thing as far as like the pushing out a whole bunch of like like quote fake news like that kind mm-hmm. of thing of pushing out some news from uh, uh, WorldReport dot publication dot something dot something dot, uh, right-wing-news.com or something like that. Like understanding the differentiate, understanding that. And even if, even if that thing, even if it's not so obvious as being a bad URL, but even being like ABC news, a recent study report or a recent study says, and you click on that and you go, that's not good. And you can understand valid from invalid. That was, that was the, the biggest part of school. For me is understanding what good information was and what bad information was, let alone I mean, not specific to relevant and uh uh modern job excuse me, job tasks of what I do on a day-to-day basis, but like knowing what good knowing what good and bad are when it comes to like quality. No, yeah, quality. I get
0: I get what you're saying. I think it's just yeah. As much as anything, college I think is more about it it, it isn't as much about like the actual things that you're learning. I mean, at least to me, like for a lot of professions mm-hmm. and it's more just about the one, the experiences of things like of being Stand on like, your own two feet, yeah, and safe. getting, yeah. Being on your own, like figuring out how to do stuff on your own. And then just like, g- like gathering the understanding of the world to yeah. where then you can go and like out in the real world and like try to do your own thing, yeah. you know? And, uh, But That's why I mean, to kind of wrap this up, that's why a lot of there's a lot of guys that you see that do sports writing and stuff like that, or just whoever you know, people that are Mm -hmm. in sports writing and sports journalism that didn't even go to journalism school, you know, like they just became a writer because they were good writers and they liked sports, and like that's just all you have to do. And they just do it for five years, all of a sudden, you got a decent little. I mean, think about a person you know who Shea Serrano is, yeah, yeah, like Shea Serrano was a teacher, like he and then he wanted to make extra money, so he became a freelancer. And then from being a freelancer, he like now is one of like probably the most famous, uh, just like calm, like people on Twitter, mm-hmm. like writers on Twitter, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, he just did that because he was like, yeah, I just like to write. And it seemed like an easy way to make more money. Yeah. And then he got really good at it. And that like, that's how most of the stuff works now. And it could be different. I went to journalism school at a time when things were changing a lot. You know, like people didn't quite know yet how to we didn't quite understand how to harness a lot of the new things, the interwebs, yeah, the internet, like podcasts weren't near a thing yet, like not that big of a thing. It was like a transitional period, and there were some people that were like really stuck in the old mold and some people that were like just starting to get into the new mold. So it's like for me, there I think there were probably people that looked down on me because of like what I was doing as with as an internship. But then at the end of the day, I would say that that worked out. yeah, I'm not you know, I have friends that are working at a small paper in the middle of nowhere, you know? And it's like, I would rather do this than have to do that. Yeah. And not that that's bad, but it's just like, that's just how it is sometimes. Different strokes for different folks. Exactly. All right, man. Now that we went on another rant. Man, that was, we didn't get anything productive done today. Everything from Joe Jaravicious and Derek Brooks to thoughts on higher education. (laughs) (laughs) Football and mostly random things. Mostly random things. Uh, go Cyclones tonight. 8 p.m. tip. 8 p.m. tip. Big Monday. ESPN. Full coverage on Uh Talk to you guys again soon. Thanks, Iowa Diamond. Carl Chevrolet Podcast Studios here in Ankeny. Uh, we'll be back next week. Peace.